welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Team Builder. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for baseball teams. Team Builder is used by 11 organizations in Major League Baseball. Baseball coaches from travel to college teams can write training programs or choose from pre-designed training programs built by professional baseball strength coaches, all for as low as $50 per month. Personally, we used Team Builder when I was coaching at Western Illinois University. It's very user-friendly and streamlines all of your programming. It also makes training sessions on or off campus easier to access for your athletes. Right now, when you start a 14-day free trial, use promo code ABCA to receive four free baseball-specific strength and conditioning training programs directly into your account. In just one click, you can set your team up with a professionally designed strength training program delivered to every player's mobile app every single day. You can reach out to Hewitt Tomlin over at Team Builder on Twitter at T-E-A-M B-U-I-L-D-R, or on their website at www.teambuilder.com, or via phone at 240-528-7848, and let Hewitt know that the ABCA sent you. And now on to the ABCA podcast. Next on Calls from the Clubhouse is Tom Oldham. Tom runs Dynamic Velocity in Omaha, Nebraska. He's an Omaha native and pitched collegiately at Creighton University. In 2003, he was drafted in the eighth round by the Marlins. In this episode, we cover his core beliefs for player development, his favorite resources, building trust with your athletes by asking questions, and how to run a facility. He's a firm believer in developing self-sufficient players. We also go in-depth on the use of RapScore, which is a new way to grade out pitchers using RapSoto. Let's welcome Tom to the podcast. Here with Tom Oldham, owner of Dynamic Velocity, uh, pitched at Creighton and then was drafted in 2003 in the eighth round by the Mariners. Uh, thanks for showing up here, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it for having me. Yep. Um, you know, you were at the Barnstormers event at Creighton, and uh, I loved your presentation, and you and I talked about that afterwards uh, via text, and I just wanted to get on here with you and, and go through it. And I love that you started with uh, James Clear's quote from Atomic Habits, uh, you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Can you talk about that quote a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite books from uh, 2019 was Atomic Habits. And the way that, you know, at my facility, we're in the we're in the business of player development. So when we're, we're talking about player development, a lot of it comes with, you know, personal improvement as well. And the way that I explain it to players is I think goals are great, um, but the systems that you have are even more important. So a lot of times people will say, trust the process, that sort of thing. And uh, players don't really know what the process is or what that even means. So the way that I've explained it to them is if you have uh, two players, two pitchers, and they're going into a game, both of them have the goal of, uh, winning the game, right? But at the end of the game, there's only one winner and, and one loser. Um, so it's really not necessarily the goal that 
is most important, but the process of getting to the goal. Um, the way that Clear explains it in this book is you may have uh, two Olympians that four years or two, two or four years from now, you know, they want to be an Olympic champion or Olymp Olympic gold medalist. Um, but at the end of the day, there's only one gold medalist. So it's not necessarily the, the goal. It's more the system in place to reach the goal. So uh, we try to explain to players that goals are really good for setting direction, uh, but not necessarily the thing that you should uh, be focusing on um, over your systems or the process that you have. You know, and you talk you talked about the four levels of pitch abilities, and and just for anybody listening in, um, I started at the bottom, so foundational, core, advanced, and elite. Um, can can we talk about those four? Can we just start with the foundational part of it? Yeah. So a little bit about the genesis of uh, you know pitch abilities is I would always have players or parents when they wanted to start training with us ask uh, ask me how we how we develop pitchers, how we develop players. So came up with uh, this pitch abilities pyramid where essentially you have that foundational level going then to the core level advanced and then the, and then the elite level. And the reason that I put it together was when players would come in for their initial evaluation, more often than not, when I asked them what their, what their main goal was, they would say uh, velocity development. Um, or I want to get command on my curveball or whatever pitch it may be. And because they had such poor movement quality or bad mechanics or what have you, or, you know, mobility issues, different things like that, uh, it helps to kind of ground them in the fact that I, I totally understand that you want to improve your velocity or improve your command, but we need to back up just a little bit and focus on these foundational things before we then start to get into um, you know, what you're ultimately uh, wanting to achieve. How early in the process do you do that with a player or parent? Do you, is that your initial meeting with them when you're going over this? Yeah. So players, uh, when they start with us, uh, they come in for an eval and that's what, uh, that's what we're going through is that evaluation process. And just for anybody listening in, and I will post this on, on social media so people can see it. Um, the foundational, it's got mobility, stability, flexibility, and motor control. Um, you know, are you using any of the on-base U assessment stuff or do you have your own assessments that you're using? So for the mobility, flexibility, um, stability, those types of assessments, I'm really referring those over to uh, PT strength coaches in the area. And then the assessment part of it that we uh, work on is really the video analysis and the more mechanical side of, um, you know, pitching or hitting. You know, and then from there, I love the fact that that get to know your players' goals and then work to change a player's habit. And and I loved what you addressed with that. Um, can you can you give some examples on on that side of things? Yeah. So one of the things as a coach that we're really trying to achieve is to create self sufficient players. So we, I think we all understand that when you're out on the mound, it's you out on the mound, and you know you don't have a coach standing there next to you. Um, and even if you did the coach may not understand uh, what's going through your head. Uh, you know, what I've seen over the years through, you know, personal playing experience and, and now coaching and training experience is you could have a guy who has all the physical attributes, um, has all of the stuff, you know, in terms of pitches, velocity, that sort of a thing. But then when they get on the mound or, you know, in the box, 
they don't necessarily have the right thought process to be successful in a stressful situation. Uh, you know, a training bullpen, even live ABs is not the same as when you're in a game um, situation. It's, it's very different. So what we try to get players to understand is their system and how they, how they um, approach a given situation. So we talk a lot about um, the habit loop um, or even as part of that, the, the triggers that go along with that. So one of the things that we talk about is if you leave a dugout, um, that could be a trigger for you. Uh, if you step over the white line, that could be a trigger. Another trigger could be uh, where, you know, your cleats are then, then getting into the box or onto the pitcher's mound. And that trigger should then uh, elicit basically a cue or um, a, a I'm sorry, not a cue, a craving. And essentially what that means is you're making a prediction about what's going to happen. So if you're on the mound and you put your cleats on the rubber and the catcher gives a sign and that's your trigger, then what's your prediction about the next pitch? Um, if you're in the box and you get done with your pre-pitch routine and now you're visualizing that the next pitch and that's your trigger, what's your prediction on what's going to happen? Um, that's really important in my opinion, because that will then get them into that habit loop of consistent processes over time. And a lot of times what I found when I talk to players about this is they don't, they don't think about it in that term. Um, you know, you have so many distractions coming in, whether you're on the mound or in the box that they're not necessarily aware of triggers, uh, even though, uh, they have them all the time. You know, you see guys jump across the white line or do certain, have a certain routine uh, when they're in the box. Uh, so we're just trying to bring awareness to that. And by bringing awareness to it, then kind of walking through the thought process uh, in terms of what what happens for them. What are some examples that you're using? Say say it's a negative trigger because there's going to be a lot of things that happen in a game setting that that can be negative triggers for, for players yep. What are some of the routines that you're you're having them work with? Yeah, so that's a that's a great point. And you know, I think when you have a, a negative trigger, then you have to understand what your prediction is after that. So essentially, uh, let's give an example of if you're on the mound and the number four hole hitter um, get, gets into the box and he's already hit two doubles off of you in the game. He gets back into the box. You have that negative thought of, well, I better not leave it over the middle of the plate or I better not hang this curveball. Um, so it's bringing awareness to that. And then what thought being honest with yourself in terms of what thought is uh, accompanying that through that prediction. And then it's, it's really trying to change it. And that's where being able to change uh, that thought process will then help to change that habit, but it definitely doesn't happen um, overnight. So a lot of it has to do with building trust with the player coach relationship so that the player will uh, be honest with you and, and say, well, when this person, you know, gets in the box or when I get in this situation, these are the thoughts that I'm having. And I know you're seeing them in the facility. How much are you going to watch them in game settings? Uh, you know, it's not that often that I'm able to get out to uh, the field to, to see them. And that's where I think 
in, in what I do, having a connection with the player and with their coach is important um, because, again, when I see players in a training setting, uh, it could be very they could be very confident in a training setting. And then all of a sudden they get under the lights, get into a pressure situation and, um, you know, it doesn't go well for them. So that's where communication is is really, really important. But I think I think with the population of players that we work with, a lot of this, um, they really haven't thought about before. So it's more bringing awareness to it. And uh, just like anything else, as a coach, you know, you you present information to a player, whether or not they listen to it um, or take it to heart is, is, is one thing, so. Are you having them verbally talk through it as you're going through it? You know, say you have a guy who's having a hard time throwing strikes or having a tough time at the plate. Are you having them verbally go through it as you're you're coaching them in that setting? Yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the coaching that I'm doing is really uh, through questions and asking them how they're feeling, what are you thinking about uh, as they're going through a, a bullpen or or what have you, and then through that, then I'm making adjustments and maybe asking different questions or. Uh, changing the approach to the bullpen. But one of the things that I always talk to the, the pitchers about is really simplifying your thought process on the mound. Because when you get on the mound, whether there be, you know, 10 people in, this, in the stadium or 30,000 people in the stadium, your job is ultimately uh, to execute a pitch. So I try to help them to realize that all of these other things are really distracting them from their, their focus on the mound, which should be pitch and location. Um, you know, what pitch am I throwing? Where am I throwing it? You could really boil pitching down to that when you're, when you're in a game situation, the weather, who's hitting the score, if anybody's on base, those are all things that, um, you know, you're aware of, you know, just, but it shouldn't be what you're focusing on, um, when you're, uh, when you're trying to get in the zone and, and execute. How long does it technically take when you're working with a guy? How long does it take for them for that to sink in? Uh, it really depends on the player. Uh, and it really depends on the relationship that I have with the player. Um, I think trust is huge in coaching and training um, because there are certain players that when they start, they are not very vocal with you. And they're just kind of going through uh you know, basically what you're telling them to do, or they're kind of learning the process. And then over time, you're able to, you know, really get into deeper conversations and then start to pick up on, you know, if they think what you just told them is ridiculous and there's no chance that they're ever going to do it, you know, that, that sort of a thing. Um, you know, I've got a college guy that I've been working with for a few years now, and there are certain things mechanically that we've been working on and, in my head, I'll give him, uh, you know, a cue that I think makes sense given what we're trying to to fix, and we have such a great relationship that he'll say, "No, that doesn't. That's not connecting with me. I don't. You know, what about this?" And then we're able to talk through it. And because of that, you know, his development has uh, gone through the roof lately, and and he's able to really perform uh, consistently at a high level because we have that, um, you know. A good relationship for able to talk honestly about things what were some of the things that worked for him uh so different different focus points so uh 
I'll give you an example on his slider. Uh, there were times where uh, sometimes I've found where if a, if a pitcher's thinking about making the break on a slider, they'll exaggerate their front side uh, because they're, you know, as they're visualizing the shape of the pitch, then they try to make that break with their upper body. So I always talk to players about, um, you know, quieting their chest down and having a fast hand out in front. He, he couldn't really connect with having a quiet chest, um, but instead he said, you know, I need to focus on just getting my hand in front of my body. If I can get my hand in front of my body, then my, my chest will, you know, basically as a byproduct, slow down. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to see and hear on the mound when I'm, you know, by him in a bullpen, I'll actually audibly hear him say out loud, see your hand, see your hand, um, that sort of a thing. Um, so it's really just, again, it's, it goes back to that habit loop and, you know, you hit that trigger and then maybe that trigger is the, the sign for the slider. Well, what prediction are you making? What, you know, what habit do you need to have to be able to consistently execute? Now, I like the fact that you broke it down. You know, you have the application part of it. Break down your areas of practice into different systems, and you you did did a great job with it. With dugout, warm up, power, throwing prep, throwing two systems. You got it split between plow care and then in two systems, then bullpen and then pregame. Um, and and I again, I will post all of that. How long did it take you to develop that that those specific things or is that just something that you you came up with as you're playing and then starting to get into the coaching side of it um yeah i think it's been through experience over time and one of the things that that i've connected with with players is you know i always wanted to be you know personally a, a pitcher and in high school i was maybe you know 85 to 88 that sort of thing but in my mind I thought I threw 95. Um, and when you have that sort of identity of, well, I'm a power pitcher, I'm not a left-handed thumber, you start to um, change the predictions that you're making about what's going to happen. So if you get a you know power hitter uh, in the box and I'm facing him, well, I'm going to blow this fastball by him. So you, you have those beliefs which trigger those predictions and those thoughts. And that's what I'm trying to get across to the players. So uh, there's a player that I'm working with right now, um, freak athlete, incredible athlete, you know, six, five, um, can throw it, you know, low to mid nineties, uh, but location is a concern and there's some mechanical things too. Um, but I asked him a couple of weeks ago, I said, if I interviewed everybody on your team and your coaches, uh, and college recruiting coordinators, what do you think that they would say about you? And um, he, he kind of looked at me, he's an interesting question and, and uh, basically got the stuff, but I can't locate it. You know what I mean? And so what I'm trying to do with this player is change his identity as not just a guy who, you know, throws it a hundred miles an hour, but can't hit the broad side of a barn but is a guy who um, is a command pitcher and he commands all of his pitches because that to me, you have to change that first before you're ever going to get anywhere with actually creating that command. If, if I, you know, don't shut up about, you know, location and command, but internally the player doesn't believe that they're, they can command the baseball or that they're a command pitcher. 
uh, in my opinion, you're not going to get anywhere. So trying to change those um, beliefs about themselves and then kind of working your way out uh, from there, then working on the processes and then, you know, hopefully the outcomes are, are what you're looking for. How's his catch play? I mean, does he spray it around and catch play? Because even, you know, what he says about, well, I can't command it, like that that's a tell. Like he he doesn't have confidence in his command. How's his catch play? Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, a lot of so times. So he can command. Like, I mean, that's a thing. Like that that's where yeah. you, hey, you just hit the glove. Like you have command, maybe not on the mound yet, but yep. but you do have it. It's there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing when you get a player like this where they have such unique physical attributes and athleticism. Uh, you know, I, I try to put myself in their shoes and I'm assuming that their daily life is people with telling them, man, you're, you know, if you could only command the baseball, you know, you can throw the hell out of it, but you know, you can't hit the spot. So that that's the story that they're hearing over and over and over. Um, so it's not to try to get, people to not say that story because people are going to say what they're going to say, but controlling whether or not you listen to it. Um, and, and if you change the narrative of that story, I think that's important for, uh, for players to understand. The guys that you're working with, how many of those guys continued to, with COVID continued to stay on their routine and how many guys got off their routine? Uh, so obviously an unprecedented situation. This was very tough. Uh, we created an app, uh, John Oltman on our staff created an app where we were able to uh, put out programs and different things that players could do at home. And I was, I was impressed. I mean, we, we had over 500 players um, sign up for the app. It's hard to tell, you know, who's all using it on a daily basis. Um, but we tried to stay connected with the players as, as much as we could, you know, everybody dealt with a little bit, with this situation a little bit differently um you know parents are at, at home and you know some players didn't have a place to uh to throw they didn't have a net or they didn't have you know some of the tools that we use in the facility so they had to get creative um what were some of the things say, they did to get creative uh you know i had a lot of people who would send me pictures of mounds that they were building you know so they they went and bought wood and turf and uh you know constructed it and they and then they realized how heavy they were so they, they had to figure it they are out. a beast the, yeah. the the ones you make yourself like they're great but good luck trying to move those like it yeah. helps when you have your whole team but you one once it's said if you're trying to move that by yourself good luck absolutely absolutely um so you know we were you know here in nebraska we were able to um you know, stay open. They didn't officially close businesses. It was, you know, the 10 person rule. So we had to manage, we had to manage that. So we were able to see some players uh, individually or in, in small groups uh, with proper social distancing and, and those measures. Uh, but, you know, the time of year that it was, we saw players, you know, get outside and you kind of see where that creativity and that desire, um, you know, of staying ready uh, came to the forefront. So I would say for the most part, uh, the players that we work with and, and from what we saw, a lot of players stayed in shape the, to the best of their ability. You had a great tweet. Um, can you give some keys to performing when you don't feel your best? 
Yeah. Um, so I had a I had a coach one time tell me that if you had 10 outings, you're going to feel great in two of them. You're going to feel terrible in two of them. And then the other six, you're, you're going to have to battle. Um, and that's really stuck with me my whole life. And the, the, you know, from a, not hey, it wasn't great, Bill. It wasn't Bill Olson. Was it? It probably was while he was, he was pinching me on the mound. <laughs> but uh, for, for anybody that doesn't know, Tom pitched to Creighton for for Coach Dom, who I worked with at Iowa, and Bill Olson is a longtime uh, coaching legend in the Omaha area, and that was like Jack's first years when he first started coaching at Creighton. I was playing at Evansville, and that staff it was him and Bill and Ed Service, which is a great staff, but. Jack loved telling Bill Olson stories. He's one of my favorite baseball people in the world. And um, uh, can you t- can you explain that? I like him pinching because that that's something you hear a lot from guys that played for Coach Olson was was that side of it. So yeah, and you know what's what's cool is in Omaha now they've uh, created this college combine and Coach Olson is leading it. Uh, you know, with with the pitchers, uh, it's his his passion for the game is truly inspiring. And you know, when I was a freshman at Creighton, uh, there were times where uh, you know, up to that point, I knew Coach Olson, um, but I had never played underneath of him. And so, what I was what I was joking about earlier is, if you were having a bad inning or whatever, and he came out to the mound, not only would he, you know, yell at you, but he's also grabbing your your stomach and kind of pinching you to get your attention. And I would always joke with them that, Coach, I'm not listening to anything you're here you're saying because I'm just I'm in pain here. Uh, my dad used no. to take his finger and stick it in your chest. Yeah, he would. Yeah. That was my anybody that played at Evansville. If my dad was fired up, like he'd take you in the runway at Bossy Field, and when he was talking to you, he would take his his pointer finger and he would jam it in your chest. Yeah. Oh, it's coach Olson is a legend and, and uh, it, it's fun to talk with former players and to talk with him and share those stories and his passion for the game um, has not dwindled at all. I, I would say it's increased every single year I see him. I think that's the definition of a true competitor is, is performing when you don't have it. Like yeah. for me, if anybody's like, what's your definition of a competitor? If, if you don't have it that day and you still find a way to go out and, and take the ball or perform at the plate, like that that's a true definition of a competitor is somebody that can do that when they don't have it. Yeah, and and more often than not when you when you feel like you don't have it whether it be, you know, your your timing at the plate or your stuff on the mound, again it goes back to, you know, that cue and that prediction that you're making um and that thought just being honest with yourself in terms of what thought are you telling yourself about what's going to happen and seeing if you can flip that switch from a negative thought to a positive thought. Uh, we always talk to our players about the fact that your thoughts drive your behavior, um, which drive your performance. Uh, so it really starts, you know, in your mind and you have to be honest with yourself because you players can tell you what they think you want to hear. Um, but if they aren't being honest with themselves, they're, they're really just cheating themselves. So, um, I think, I think that's an important part of being able to compete and execute even when you're not at your best. I still use it. I, I still go back to like if I'm dragging a little bit, like I'll, I'll my internal cues and talk to myself. Like I'll start to get myself going. Like I'll, I'll start, 
getting after it a little bit from an aggressive standpoint just to get myself going. And it usually doesn't take me very long, but I think everybody's got to find that because you're not going to have it every day. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way with athletics. You're not going to have it. So how do you develop those habits that help you get going when you need to? Cause you're going to need it. Some of those days, you're just not going to feel good. Some days it's part of being a human being and, and having a human body is you're just not going to feel good some days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, and, it, and again, it's not, uh, you know, there's a book, uh, called it takes what it takes by Trevor Moad. And he was the, um, trainer for Russell Wilson. And one of the things that I like about what, you know, the, the whole premise of the book is really this idea of neutral thinking. And, you know, when you get into those situations, it's not beating yourself up that you don't have your stuff or you're not feeling your best. It's just understanding that that's the way that it is today. And then trying to change your thoughts um, behind that. And to me, I think that's pretty powerful uh, in terms of not beating yourself up as a lot of times in games, your performances, you know, again, dictated by those thoughts. And if you have those limiting beliefs or those self-destructive thoughts, uh, just kind of spirals out of control. And then that's when you start to you know, make excuses and, and blame and different things like that. That's a maturity thing too. And the, the hard part is most guys' baseball is finished by the time they can get any of that figured out because it is a maturity thing. As you get older, your perspective becomes way better um, you just wish you, you could go back as a, you know, a 40 year old and do it again. I think that's the thing where everybody would be much better as a player taking some of that wisdom that they've gotten as they've gotten older. Uh, I also loved another one of your tweets. You taught you, you were banging on MLB for, for taking to social media with the, the contract issues. Um, I loved, and I agreed with you on that, that, you know, until you come to resolution, like don't don't air your grievances out on social media. And we see it all the time now. Um, you know, hopefully they're going to come to a resolution here. But I just think it stalls the process when people take to social media to air their grievances. Yeah, my my whole thing is it's, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic situation. Uh, you know, unemployment rates are sky high and we have billionaires arguing with millionaires. And it's just it's hard to. Um, you know, as a fan, appreciate that back and forth. Um, and I just don't, I, I just don't think it's necessary. I, I get that it needs to go on, there needs to be an agreement and that there's backdoor conversations. But, um, you know, sharing that information on social media is, uh, is not helpful, in my opinion. I was watching the, uh, they had the college baseball summer invitational and Kyle Peterson was giving you some love because of Jonah Hill. Can you talk about that a little bit with, with Jonah? I mean, he, he looked great. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, how much you've worked with him and, and how far he's come? Yeah. I, I, uh, first I owe KP some dinner. I had no idea. I got to to say that. So I owe him some dinner, but, uh, um, Jonah is, pretty special player in my opinion um so he is one of those guys where he started working with me a couple years ago and uh, there were some mechanical things uh early front side rotation wasn't getting a lot of front leg extension and he if, if he was on here right now he would make no bones about it that he wants to um you know play professional baseball so he's laser focused on getting in the pro ball and with that, he recognized that he needed to increase his velocity and worked his butt off to make some of these mechanical changes uh, and 
frankly turn himself into the player that that uh, would even spark the interest of professional clubs. What were some of the mechanical changes he needed to adjust? Uh, so when he first started, when he would lift his um, basically his hips, his front leg would start to swing open early, and then that basically affected the rest of his um, body. And when he landed open, he was almost already getting into external rotation uh, with his arm. So it was really a position and a timing issue to where the power that he was generating in his body couldn't transfer efficiently. So helping him get into better positions at different points uh, in the delivery. Uh, but, but I'll be honest, we work with a lot of players on that, you, you know, and it really comes down to the player to say, yes, this is something that I think needs to change and I want to change this. And, you know, the credit goes to him in terms of making that change. And um, there were a lot of times when he was back um, home uh, or even down at campus where he would send me videos of different drills that he was doing and um, and checking in. And then this summer when we started training, uh, we were working on uh, tightening up his pitches. Uh, sometimes his uh, breaking stuff would get a little bit too loopy for um, – or what I think. Yeah, because it was a sizable difference between his fastball velocity and his breaking ball velocity. It was about a 20 mile an hour difference what he was throwing. Yeah, and, and even the shape of his breaking stuff has improved because there's just a difference, I think, with each level that you go, whether it be high school or college or, pl or pro, what plays at that level. And I think you can get away with different things at, at the different level. Um, but no, he, uh, it, you know, he recognized that in order to, you know, get seen, at the college level, or I'm sorry, at the pro level, that he needed to, uh, you know, be sitting in the low 90s, not just touching, you know, 90, 91 occasionally, but be sitting there. And uh, so, yeah, we got to, to work during the pandemic. And uh, has his arm action always been that short? Uh, yeah, his arm action was, um, yeah, there really wasn't a lot of arm action things that we, uh, that we adjusted. Although I do know, uh, he probably worked on that with, uh, word Kemper down at Creighton. I know where he's a big arm action guy. Um, uh, a lot of what we focused on was more of the position to get that power to transfer, um, efficiently. But, uh, I, you know, as you're going through it and you're working, how much of it, is it handbrake timing to make sure the ball's in a good position to throw from when the front foot lands? Yeah, I, I think that definitely comes into play for me. A lot of times is it's how are they leaving the mound? So what I have found is the back foot, um, you know, cause at that point you really haven't started to separate yet. If you're good, you know, what we call hip load, getting up into hip load and then starting to drive down the mound when players are, you know, younger, they're taught to get into an athletic position. And more often than not, that means to get on the balls of your feet. Well, that's somewhat counterproductive as a pitcher. So what we try to do is teach them to screw their back leg or screw their heel into the mound and maintain, you know, what we call a vertical shin as they're in that drive phase. And that allows their upper body to stay um, stacked over their lower half as it should as they're going into front foot strike. For him, that was really what we focused on. Um, handbrake is important, uh, in my opinion, but what I've found and, and kind of the process in which we teach players is from the ground up. So what is, why is your separation timing uh, inadequate or ineffective 
does your lower is your lower half contributing to that? Can we talk about the rap score? Because I, I loved yeah. I loved when you were explaining it. Because from um, as you're explaining it, I'm looking. Okay, this is the future for facilities owners. Because now you're adding a command component. It's not just the velocity yeah. part of it, and it, it's now you're you're actually grading and scoring them out. Can you go over that? I just thought it was awesome. I think this is the future of of where it's going to go because you can tell if a guy can command a little bit then too. It's not just, okay, here's his velocity, here's his spin rate. It adds another step to it. So can you go over that? Absolutely. Um, so I, I do. I, I'm very excited about this. I think this is going to change the game for college recruiting, um, you know, professional scouting. I think this information that they're putting together is incredibly valuable. So essentially the rap score, it starts with a pitch score where they're taking uh, four years of major league average um, uh, swing percentage strikes. And then basically given um, how you're throwing your certain pitch, they're going to evaluate it um, or put it up against those um, uh, major league averages. Uh, so that's one component of it. The other component uh, is a release matrix or a, the second component is a movement, ma movement matrix. So dependent on your pitch types, um, how much vertical break, horizontal break are you achieving with the pitch compared uh, to your other pitches? So you want your movement matrix or sometimes I explain it like a movement spread to be wide. You know, you, you don't want your, um, you know, your four seam and your curveball to have the same movement. That wouldn't make any sense. Uh, you you want to have some good spread in, in the movement of your pitches. The third aspect is a release matrix. And that's really what, where you want to have a tight spread, uh, where you want the ball to be tunneling out of the same spot uh, for the different pitch types you have. Uh, and then uh, there's also... Uh, you know, hey, you talked about your, your player with getting his hand out front. Um, yeah. You know, when you're seeing that then with Rapsodo is obviously that's getting closer on his fastball and his slider than by him thinking yeah. about getting the ball out front, right? Yeah, great example. So uh, we found that for this specific pitcher, uh, his sweet spot for his fastball is about a negative two to negative three release angle. Um, for his curveball, uh, it jumps up to a positive two, positive three. And then for his slider, it actually goes back down to a negative one release angle. And that's important, I think, because it allows you to have the conversation with the pitcher about different scenarios. So, uh, you know, a hitter is picking up a pitch out of the pitcher's hand. And if they see that positive release angle on the curveball early in the count, more often than not, they're probably not going to swing. You, you know what I mean? Cause pitchers are, or I'm the sorry, better or the better hitter is going to pick it up and bang it out of the, out of the ballpark. Abs absolutely. Absolutely. So if you have that understanding of, you know, you could get, a curveball over for strike one and then late in the count, then you can use your other type of breaking ball. Um, it's, it's, it can be a very effective dialogue with the player and rather than, you know, getting too deep in a bullpen discussion around the very specific metrics, then it's more uh, ranges and themes that you're seeing that you can talk to them. And then they start to understand what, what it all means and, uh, it kind of excites them 
how, how much would you have loved to have Rapsodo as a as a pitcher if you were still doing it? Oh, I would. <laughs> I, I would love it. I mean, I'll be honest. I've, I've, there's been late night bullpen sessions where it's just me in the facility, um, throwing and just messing around. And then I can't brush my teeth for the next few days, but, uh, um, but no, the technology that we have in today's game is, uh, is incredible. It's, it's, uh, again, it goes back to my point though, that, you know, as coaches and players, it's our job to prevent, to present the tools and information to the players, um, but again, the goal should be to get these players to be self-sufficient. Um, you know, we can talk until we're blue in the face, but if the player doesn't get it, then it's 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 for it's me. Not, it's uh, the it's like the infancy stage of video. You know, where Rapsoda and all that stuff is at. It's just in the infant stages of it. It's going to continue to get better. It's kind of where video was back in the early '90s. Yeah, um, where you're just baby stepping with it. I think we're at the same place with with Rapsodo. Absolutely. And, and the last component to that rap score is probably what I'm most excited about. Um, and it's their location matrix, because this is really where if you're going to get a certified rap score, you have to go through a scripted bullpen. And what I mean by that is um, I want you to throw this fastball to this spot and then we see how well you executed that pitch. Um, you know, social media right now is filled with uh, players doing run and guns and players posting, you know, one pitch of uh, a Rapsodo bullpen. And, and I've done it, I've done it too for players. Uh, but I think what we need to understand is that this data is more useful, the more we have a, of it um, and figuring out different ranges and, um, and different things like that. So I'm, I'm very excited about the rap score. Uh, you know, one of the components of it is it's really a two, two tiered uh, 2080 scale uh, where uh, it's the amateur scale and then the pro scale. So if you're a, an 80 grade um, amateur, uh, that essentially is like being a 20 grade pro. So it'll be, um, you know, it'll be nice to be able to identify pro prospects at the high school level um, through through their grading system. And and I think you know Seth Daniels and Brian Page, who run Rapsodo, are are brilliant and they're in it for the right reasons and uh they're just they're great guys i it's been nice to see their uh growth over the last few years what are your biggest challenges with running a facility um biggest challenges with running a facility i think are getting it to where um we don't get uh too big meaning we when I talk about dynamic velocity. It's really strictly on um, player development. So we don't have any teams or, or anything like that. And as a business owner, it's always in the back of my mind, you know, just from a revenue generation standpoint that, oh, you know, if we had teams, that's another revenue stream and that sort of a thing. But to me, that would damage relationships that we've built with coaches, teams, organizations. Uh, it seems like there's just so many organizations and teams already that rather than, you know, creating those, we want to add value to those organizations. Um, and, and also, you know, as we've had some success, it's really, it, it, it's really kind of overcoming some of those rumors or myths about what happens at, at your facility um, where, 
it's nice to sit down with a player and a parent and go over actually what goes on at the facility and, and uh, you know, how we build programs for, for the, the specific player. You know, we talked about it takes what it takes and then Atomic Habits. What other resources for coaches that are listening in should they get into? Um, so I am a big uh, John Maxwell fan, a big John Gordon fan. Uh, the, so those are the um, authors. Um, Charles Duhigg, if you're interested in learning more about habits. The, yeah, um, I love The has, Power of Habit. I love yeah, that book. He, yeah, it's a great book. Um, uh other ones, I would say The Inner Game of Tennis uh, is a really good book. I'm glad you brought it up because I haven't. That's on my list. Uh, I, one of my routines is to go to the public library every week. So with COVID, it's been shut down. That's on my like wait list. Um, I may have to buy it. Um, I don't know. Um, Michael it's Lewis a- has a podcast now uh, that it's almost like TV series where his first season was about referees. This season is about coaches. And so he interviewed the guy from inner game of tennis and it was intriguing. And I've, Tim Ferriss has mentioned that book as well. So that's, Good. that's on my list of, of like my next book that I'm going to read is the inner yeah. game of tennis. And in fact, yeah, so I've got it. I've actually got it. Do you? Right okay. Here. Good. Cause I, it, it looks small. I'll send it. I'll send it to you. <laughs> I appreciate it. So the, uh, so Tewksbury has a good book, uh, 90% mental, uh, which is, which I think is a great book. Um, mental, mental, uh, game of baseball, uh, mental ABCs of pitching. And then one book that I really enjoyed, it was actually the book that I read before atomic habits is, um, this book is the golden rules. Okay. And it's uh, Michael Phelps, uh, swim coach, uh, Bob Bowman, uh, who wrote it's 10 steps of world-class excellence in your life and work. Um, I would use him as really an example book. with the players at Western uh, with Michael Phelps and how Phelps developed that routine that he had through the Olympics when he was a little kid, you know, yeah. his pool routine was developed by the time he was a young kid and then just kept it. Now he's got some physical attributes that obviously allowed him to be an, an elite swimmer, but his preparation and routines were as set and as good as anybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, what we were talking about earlier too, he identified himself as being world-class and the best of the best. So a lot of those uh, processes that he put in place were because, um, you know, as Trevor Moad says in it takes what it takes is there's just, you, this, you don't have a choice. This is what you have to do. If you're going to be world-class, this is what you have to do. Um, and yeah, he's a great example of that. What about you personally? I mean, what, what, you have any morning or evening routines? I know you've got a full-time job. You're running dynamic velocity. Do you have any morning or evening routines that you, you like that are pretty set for you? I do. So I, my wife makes fun of me, but I, uh, I love listening to audiobooks when I work out. So uh, you know, for me, I've got three kids, uh, work full-time job and that's called habit stacking, by the way. Yeah, it is. It's called habit stacking. So like you add a, a habit onto something that you're already doing, whether maybe listen to audiobook and you don't necessarily like to exercise. Okay. Listen to your audiobook and then mix in exercise with it to, to help develop better habits by stacking onto habits that you already do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, 
I, uh, I, I love it. And it's, it provides a transition in my day that's pretty necessary. So, um, you know, work and life gets blended now that you're uh, working in a remote environment and, and, you know, what have you. So it's, it's one of those where when I get done with my day job, then I'll get in my workout where um, that's that kind of transitionary period and kind of mental break um, to put me in the right frame of mind to where I'm not bringing the stresses of work into, into family life. I think that's, that's pretty important. Um, but then it's also just staying on top of my uh, personal development. You know, uh, you know, I'm in my you know, upper 30s, so I've got a lot of life left and it's it's one of those things where the being in baseball or being in sports you get into that um kind of process of self-improvement and wanting to um you know wanting to continually improve and as a player you see those results you know whether or not you're executing in games or, or having success on the field and it's a little bit different um, in professional life. Um, but I think it's, again, it's being able to look at your day or, um, look at your routines and be happy with those. Um, so to me, that's really what I try to do, how I, you know, define success or, or whatever is truly that happiness of, am I, am I taking time out for myself? Am I, um, you know, being there for my family? Am I being there for the players that we train? Am I showing up to each of these situations like I would want to show up? What were your biggest differences between pitching in college and then pitching professionally? Um, you know, I was a pretty uh, aggressive and intense pitcher um, when I when I grew up. And, you know, former teammates at the high school and, and college level um, you know, still make fun of me for it. I mean, I would be striking guys out and, you know, yelling on the mound and, and kind of have this weird routine on the mound, uh, that I would always do. And I remember in pro bowl, um, uh, Brad Holman's his name is, I believe he's with the nationals now, excellent pitching coach. Um, he really started talking to me about, you know, uh, having a more of a career mindset in, um, professional baseball. And it's not about being the most intense or aggressive um, person, but then, and not trying to lose that intensity, but channeling it appropriately. And it was, it was really eye opening. How did you um, channel it? it? It was, it really went back to my thoughts on the mound. And that's uh, what's really kind of the genesis of all of this thought process that I have, where when I would get onto the mound, rather than just thinking about, you know, yelling and screaming and aggressively throwing, it was more a calm nature and thinking about the task at hand and what do I need to throw and where do I need to throw it and being okay with doing that over and over and over and over. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference. I, you know, there were some teams that we played in college that um, I think could, you know, beat some pro teams, you know, that we played against. So, uh, the thing that I would say is as you're increasing the levels of baseball, very similar to, you know, other fields, the talent is pretty similar. Uh, it's really just more uh, about your process and your routines and, and your habits that, that separate you. And I think that became 
very apparent to me to where um, I had to had to really hone in on those and and improve those. And luckily, I was in the Mariners organization, and uh, Jamie Moyer uh, was was in the Mariners organization as well. And just seeing him on a daily basis and um, learning from the way that he carried himself in the weight room and, and different things and just his overall demeanor uh, was was very helpful. Pitched for a long time. Absolutely. Forever. Absolutely. Very effectively. And was a great pitcher forever. What are some final thoughts and then where can people find you? Uh, some final thoughts. So, you know, one of the things that I think as, as coaches, again, is our goal is to really help players be self-sufficient. Um and really build trust in your relationships with your players. I think you can make a lot of good things happen if you have that. Um, that's what we try to do every day. And, and uh, you know, when you asked me to come speak at Barnstormers, that's really why I chose that topic because as a coach, I think that's our, you know, maybe our most important job. Um, but in terms of where you can find me, uh, our website for the facility is dynamicvelo.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Tumbled in Baseball 19 on uh, Twitter, and I believe it's Tumbled in Baseball on um, Instagram. But uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for everything. So, and good luck with everything. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad the move went well, and you're settling in, and and uh, keep up the great work on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. That was Thanks, perfect. Man. Yeah, Tom, that was great, man. So, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. So good. Yeah, stay connected. Let me know uh, yeah. if you ever need anything else. Yeah, no, this was great. You'd been on my, you know, I always have like who I want to have on, and then I appreciate you adjusting with me on the move. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's been in my notes from the fall to make sure I got you on just because I did love your, I loved your Barnstormers talk. I loved it, and I think more coaches need to hear it. Um, Thanks. It's just it's the way it should be. You and I are, and I told you that you and I are on the same page from a player development standpoint. And if you can get them to change their thoughts, they're going to perform better. And yeah, and that's Absolutely. about as simple as you can make it guys perform without even hitting any of the other stuff. If you can get them to have the right thinking and carry themselves right every day and how they prepare and all that stuff that the performance usually starts to take care of itself. Because they so get confident, they get confidence from it. So true, and a lot of players always talk about how, how they want to, um, you know, slow the, the game down. Well, that's that's the best way that I found to do that through pre preparation. I mean, that's what slows yeah. everything down. Is you know you were prepared. Like that's that's part of it. If if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're you're going to take the field with confidence because. If you if you still lose or you have a tough outing, it's okay. Like you're doing everything that you can to to put yourself in a position to be successful. And yeah, it sucks totally. if you don't have success, but it's a little easier to get off the mat and, and go back to it the next day then too. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Cool. I appreciate Tom's core belief of developing self sufficient players. I also am a firm believer that if you're doing your job as a coach, boss or parent, if you do things right, the people you work with, coach or parent, eventually shouldn't need you. Some of the books we discussed in this episode are Atomic Habits by James Clear, It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moad, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway, and The Golden Rules by Bob Bowman. I'm excited to add to my resource library. I hope this episode helps you get the best out of those around you. 
This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.